0: Welcome to the Prince College Podcast. We are so thankful that you've tuned in. Our hope with this podcast is that it teaches you more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. With that in mind, let's dive right in. Hope you enjoy. Uh, Love that you guys are here tonight. Really excited to be back. Is anybody excited to be back in Athens from home? Only like a couple of you? I was expecting more of an applause for that. Like, Are you excited to be not in mom and dad's house anymore? All right, you guys are not awake, it's totally fine, I get it. I'm really excited that you're here. I love these moments, I love these nights, and it's been like six weeks since we've been able to do that. And I'm really excited to be back in this room with you tonight, and I'm really pumped about this new series that we're starting. Luke told you about it a moment ago. We're calling it Loveology, a biblical study of love. And now, full disclosure, I feel like I gotta come clean. I definitely did not make up that title, all right? I definitely stole it from a book that I read over the break Funny thing though, the series is not really anything about the book, I just really liked the name and it felt like it fit really well with what we're going to talk about because Loveology, we're going to be eight weeks in Loveology. We have, Lord willing, eight Prince College Nights plans if COVID will cooperate and we don't have to cancel anything. We have eight of them on the calendar. Loveology is going to take us all eight and we're going to kind of break it into two parts, all right? Four weeks and four weeks. These first four weeks together, we're going to look at love from a variety of different perspectives that we see in the scriptures. So tonight, we're talking all about God's love for us. And the next time that we meet together, we're gonna to talk about our love for God. That third week, we're gonna be talking about our love for each other as believers in Jesus Christ, our love for the church, our love for the body of Christ or our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And week four, we're gonna talk all about our love for the lost, our love for the nations, our love for those who do not yet walk with Jesus. That's where we're headed. And I'm really excited about these first four weeks. And let me tell you why I'm excited about this because I believe that we all just need some fresh perspective on those four things. Like we need to be reminded of how deep the Father's love truly is for us. We need to be reminded of what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need those reminders. But on top of that, I believe that this is something that the world desperately needs right now. The world is in desperate need of more love. I've been really burdened about this for what feels like forever at this point, like even starting all the way back in March in the initial quarantine, going through the summer, through the election cycle, and especially over the past couple of weeks, what we've seen in our world is just an increase in division, an increase in animosity, an increase in anger, and an increase in hatred. And what we need in these days is we need the people of God to live differently. We who follow Jesus need to be living differently. We need to be displaying a different way. We need to be displaying the way of Jesus, which is the way of love. So that's my heart for the first four weeks. I'm really excited about that. After. those four weeks, we're going to transition. We're going to change gears quite a lot. Actually, we're still talking about love, but we're actually going to talk about romantic love, all right? And we're going to talk about relationships, and specifically, we're going to talk about how to navigate relationships in a way that will be honoring to the Lord, but also in a way that will be a blessing to the world around us, all right? I know from talking to many of you that these are things that are on your mind, right? And so we want to talk about them in the context of the church. We don't want you to take your dating cues from the culture around you. We want you to learn how to, date and navigate relationships within the context of the church so that's where we're headed this semester we'll get to the romantic love I'm excited about that too but before we get there we need to tackle part one we need to tackle these first four parts because here's the deal before we ever worry about how we can get a relationship with a guy or a girl right we need to first make sure that we're right with the Lord We need to first make sure that we know what it means to be right with the Lord, to walk with Jesus, who we are in his eyes and how we are to live. So that's where we're headed tonight. And we're starting by talking about God's love for us. And the way that we're gonna do that is we're gonna be in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter two. So if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to go ahead and flip that way. If you've got a phone, totally cool too. Go ahead and pull that out. Get to Ephesians chapter two, past first and second Corinthians, past Galatians, then you're there at Ephesians. Ephesians is written by the apostle Paul to the church or to the body of believers in the town of Ephesus, all right? Paul is the same guy who wrote Colossians, which we studied last semester, Colossians and Ephesians have a lot of things in common, but they have a little, um, there's some, difference, some subtle differences as well, and we could talk about God's love for us for weeks on end, but if I had to pick one passage of Scripture to explain God's love for us, it would be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So that's where we're going to be tonight. We're going to break this passage of Scripture into two sections and just kind of talk about them together and see how God has displayed his love towards us. Us. All right, so I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, and we're going to talk about those first. So starting in verse 1, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I want you to pause right there. I know that's not the most fun Place to pause, those are some really depressing few verses, but we need to hang out here for a minute. I know that might sound weird. I told you we're gonna talk about God's love for us, and we're talking about being children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That may seem a little awkward to you, but I'm here to tell you that I don't know, like these three verses are so important in us understanding God's love for us. I cannot overestimate, excuse me, I cannot overemphasize the importance of these three verses in understanding God's love for us. And the reason is actually our first point for tonight. I think it's going to be on the screens behind me, but to understand the magnitude of God's love for us, we must first understand the magnitude of our sin against God. To understand the magnitude Of God's love for us, we must first understand the magnitude of our sin against God. We've got to talk about the bad news before we can really appreciate the good news. That's another way to say that. We really need to understand this. And these three verses help us understand what sin is and what it does to us. So we're going to take some time to talk about that. I know sin is not the most fun topic, but we need to be able to understand the magnitude of our sin so that we can fully appreciate, or at least more fully appreciate, the love that God has for us. And what we see in these three verses is that the result of sin is death. This text tells us that we were born spiritually dead, that on our own we are spiritually lifeless and spiritually helpless. That's what it says, that we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. That we were, excuse me, we were born spiritually lifeless and spiritually helpless. This text tells us that we all once walked in this way. That we all followed this course, the prince of the power of the air. Not just the worst people in society, but every single one of us is born into that. Every single one of us has a sinful nature from birth. And that may sound harsh to you. And you may be like, well, why is that the case? Why are we all born with this sinful nature? Why is this the way the world is? The answer to that is found at the very beginning of your Bible. In Genesis chapter 3 all right? Many of you know this story. This is what theologians and biblical scholars call the fall, right? That God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2. He speaks, and galaxies are sent spinning into motion. It's absolutely beautiful. He forms everything, and he forms man out of the dust and breathes life into his nostrils, created man in his own image to live and dwell and rule on the earth, to enjoy and glorify God and to enjoy one another. He created us that way. It's a beautiful picture. And the beauty lasts all of two chapters. And then in that third chapter, we see mankind rebel against God and choose their own way. Even though God created a beautiful world for them to live in, for us to live in, he gave us more than we could have ever needed to live and thrive. They wanted the one thing that God told them that they could not have. In a garden full of yes, they chose the one no. They chose the one no. They pursued the one thing they could not have. They rebelled against God and their rebellion damaged relationship with God. And because of that one choice, we now live in a sinful world and we all follow the course of the power of this world. We all follow the prince of the power of the air. The same enemy that tempted mankind in the garden all those years ago is the same enemy that now tempts you. We are all born into this world and are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. That is all of our stories. And you may hear that and you may say, okay, Adam, like that sounds intense, right? Like I thought I was coming to hear a talk on God's love for us and you're telling me now that I'm born a child of wrath. Like why? Like I get it. Like I'm not perfect, but I don't think I'm that bad. We all tend to think like that sometimes, right? We might not say those things out loud, but many of us, whether we say it aloud or not, we think that our sins, it's really not that bad. And as a result of thinking that way, we don't really understand the wrath of God. And I would say, if you think that way, you also don't really understand the love of God. You can't fully understand the love of God if you think that your sins aren't really that bad. And so that's why, as much as I possibly can, I want to help clarify this for us tonight. I want to talk about what sin is and what it does. I know it's not fun, and I know that it's not, it might not be what you expected to hear tonight, but this is so important for us to grasp. So as simply and as concisely as I possibly can, I want to remind us what sin is and what the results of sin are. All right. So what is sin? Quite simply, that word, we don't really use that like outside of religious context, right? We only use the word sin whenever it comes to religion. You may or may not know that in the original language, that word sin, it means to miss the mark. And it was actually an archery term, okay? So whenever you hear to miss the mark, whenever you hear sin, you can kind of picture in your mind kind of a bow and arrow shooting at a target, right? I thought about setting one up, but I didn't want to embarrass myself nor put you in danger, all right? So I thought about you know, trying to shoot a bow and arrow from stage, maybe a little suction cup one. That would have been a great idea. Opportunity missed, it's fine. But to miss the mark, it's an archery term, right? And so you think aiming at a target, shooting at it, and if you miss the mark, obviously you miss the target. That's what's meant by sin, And now my guess is, you probably could have guessed that, at least in some degree, right? Like you might not have known the whole archery backstory, but if I would have asked you, like, hey, what is sin? You probably could have given me some idea of sin is rebellion against God, sin is not living up to God's desires, something like that, right? But we all know in our minds, at least a little bit, that sin is missing the mark, that sin is missing the target. I don't think that I need to convince you of that. The thing that I think that we struggle with is that we don't understand what the target is. We don't know what we're aiming at. Many of us, whenever we think about the target for our morality or the target for the way that we're meant to live our lives, we think about society standards. We think about the way society tells us to live. We think about others in our lives and just measuring up to them, right? And as a result, if that is our target of morality, if that's our target for how we are to live our lives, then it's not really that hard to measure up to that right? And you compare your life to those that are around you. You compare your life to the lives of those in society around you. And it's not really hard to hit that mark. You might not be too far off center of that target. And if that's the target, then you're doing pretty good, right? Like you're a pretty good person. You work hard. You do the right thing. You're not trying to cause trouble or anything. You know, sure, you may have made some mistakes along the way, but it's not like you've killed anybody. It's not like you've robbed a bank. It's not like you've stolen a large sum of money. You know, nothing like that. So we, we think that we're good because we measure our morality by the, way, by the way that we see culture, by the way that we see those around us. And if that's our target, then we look pretty good. But I'm here to tell you, that's not the target at all. Our target is not society standards, it's God's standards. Our society is not soci- or excuse me. Our target is not society's design; it's God's design. Our target is not society's expectations or demands; it's God's expectations and demands. Through the biblical worldview, we as humanity are meant to live and dwell with God in perfect harmony. That we're meant to live in purity, in righteousness, in blamelessness before Him. His standard of perfection not societies is the target that we are aiming at and whenever we begin to see that whenever we that clicks in our minds all of a sudden we see that we're nowhere near the mark right like we just just think about this with me a little bit right like we understand that whenever we excuse me whenever we see that it's not simply society standards that we're judged by it's gods we begin to see that we're nowhere near the target at all just think about in the way that we treat one another right Like if we're going off of society standards, the society will tell us, well, we love those who love us, right? We take care of those who take care of us. We're loyal to those who are loyal to us. But as soon as someone steps us, like crosses us in the wrong way, as soon as someone does something to hurt us, as soon as someone treats us the wrong way, society will tell you, you go get yours. You get right back at them, an eye for an eye. Right? If they talk bad about you, you talk bad about them. If they blast you on social media, you blast them on social media. If they talk about you behind your back, you talk about them behind their back. That's what society will tell you, right? It's not really that hard of a target to aim at. We can all do that. But whenever we look through scripture and we see God's design for the way that we're supposed to relate and interact with one another, we see a very different target. We see that we're meant to honor, to respect, to value, to love, to serve, to value others as more important than ourselves, to not just love those who love us, but also to love our enemies, to honor, respect, value, care for every single human being regardless of whether or not you agree with them on everything because we realize that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is a soul that Jesus died to save. It's a much different target. Think about it in the realm of purity, right? Society's version of purity, society's target of purity is an absolute joke, right? Like all you gotta do in society's worldview is as long as you're not hurting anybody, you can do whatever you want. And even that's like a definition that's held loosely, right? Anything goes in the realm of physicality, anything goes whenever it comes to your own personal sexual purity. But as long as you're not hurting someone else, but we look through the scripture and we see a very different target. We see that in God's view, purity means that sexuality exists in the context of marriage alone, marriage between a man and a woman alone. That to look at someone in any way, in person, on a screen, in your mind, in your imagination, in a lustful way, is committing adultery in God's point of view, in God's eyes. He takes purity very seriously. It's a very different target. And I'm going in on this, I'm belaboring this, because we need to see this. We need to begin to see God's target. We need to understand what target we're actually aiming at. Whenever we begin to see that we're not aiming at the target of society, that we're aiming at God's perfect standard, we begin to fully realize the truth of verses like Romans 3.23, which says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what sin is. Falling short of his glory. Sin is any thought, any word, or any action that does not measure up to God's perfect example. And we have all, every single one of us in this room, have committed sin on some level. And the result of that, the punishment for that, is God's wrath. That's what this text tells us. The punishment is his wrath. And this brings up a whole different issue one that we don't have time to dive into tonight. But what you need to know is that sin must be punished by God. And I know that's a hard thing for many of us to wrap our minds around, and I wish that I could take a long time talking about it, but we just gotta, we've got to move on. So I'm going to share one quick analogy with you. And I know it's getting a little tense. We've been talking about sin, so it's going to be a funny analogy. All right, It's going to be a little silly. You're going to have to bear with me a little bit. I asked my friend Tyler Brew if I could pick on him for this analogy. You guys okay with me picking on Tyler Brew a little bit? Yeah, Jonah's really okay with it. That was awesome. All right, so Tyler waved to the people. Hey, Tyler, show us the mullet. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's not part of the analogy at all. I just wanted to show it off. But anyways, all right, so we know Tyler. If you don't know Tyler, he's the one that just waved at you. Tyler is good friends with my, also my other buddy, Braden, over here, right? Braden, why don't you wave to the people? I didn't ask you, but we're putting you on the spot too. All right, let's imagine for a moment, Tyler and Braden are hanging out one day, and Braden says something that makes Tyler mad. And Tyler reaches up and smacks Braden across the face. Look, open hand, just slaps the mess out of him. What do you think the result would be? My guess, you don't actually have to answer. That's kind of awkward. It was a rhetorical question, my bad. My guess, my guess is that Braden would probably hit him back. They'd fight back and forth a little bit. And they'd eventually get over it and move on. Right? That's probably what would happen. Knowing the two of them, that's my guess at what would happen. But let's step it up a level. Let's say that Tyler leaves here tonight, and he's in a hurry to get the cookout. He wants to be the first one in the drive-through to get him a milkshake, all right? And he's going 70 and a 55 down Highway 316. GSP lights him up, pulls him over. Tyler gets mad and slaps the GSP officer in the face. All of a sudden, it's not just a little spat, right? Like Tyler's probably going to jail, right? assaulting a police officer. This is a big deal, right? This is no longer just slapping braid in the face. He's just slapped a straight up police officer, okay? Let's take it a step up from there. Let's imagine for some weird, ridiculous reason, Tyler gets asked to come speak to this king of a foreign country, all right? He's in front of him. The king's maybe asking him about his awesome new haircut, They're having a conversation and in the course of that conversation, King says something that Tyler doesn't agree with and Tyler, just because he's now in this weird habit of smacking people in the face, smacks this King in the face. What do you think the result's gonna be? Well, depending on the nation, Tyler probably could be put to death, right? Everybody agree with me? You see this? And what we see through all of those three instances is that the offense didn't change. It was always a slap in the face. What did change was the magnitude of the one offended, the importance of the one offended. And the more important the person, the more severe the consequence. And whenever we're talking about sin, we're not talking about sin just against you. We're not talking about sin just against your mom or your dad or whoever. We're not talking about sin against just another person. We're talking about sin against a holy and mighty God. And the result of that is punishment. The result of that is wrath. And so from all of this conversation on sin, and I promise we're getting to the good news, okay, from all of this conversation on sin, what I want you to see is that our target is not society's standard. Our target is God's perfect design, one in which none of us could ever live up to. And because of that, we are all deserving of God's just wrath and punishment. I want you to feel the weight of that. Your sin deserves God's wrath. Feel that. Your sin deserves God's wrath. And if the story ended there and God punished us, the story would still be just. Because God is in every right to do that. But the good news? The really, really, really good news is that the story does not end there. Whenever we understand the magnitude of our sin, we can actually understand the magnitude of what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whenever we begin to understand the magnitude of our sin, the next words that Paul says in verses 4 through 10 are that much more beautiful. Read along with me. Verses 4 through 10 in Ephesians 2 say this. All right, he just said that we were all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even whenever we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Four good works which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. That's good news. Anybody else a little excited about that? Okay, one of you, thank you, I appreciate that. One of us is excited, but I'm really excited about that. The most accurate way or the best way to see God's love for us is seeing what God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing what he has done in these four verses. What we see here is that Paul says much about God, that this is the God that we serve, right? That our God, who we all offended, this God whom we have all rebelled against, insulted and turned from time and time again, Refused to leave us on our own in the condition that we created for ourselves. Let that sink in. This was our problem that we created for ourselves. And our God refused to let us stay there. In our rebellion... In our sin, in our hopelessness and spiritual deadness, God did not turn away from us. He did not, He was not disgusted with us. He did not recoil from us. No, He moved towards us. He extended His hand to us. He did not run from us, but stepped into our lives. He did not ask us to clean ourselves up first. He did not ask us to get ready. He came and lived among us. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room, based on this text, what you believe believe is this, that God saw our sinful state. He saw the road that we had created for ourselves. He saw where we were headed, and he was not surprised, but he had a plan ever since the beginning of creation before we even rebelled in this first, plan, first place, and his plan was for our redemption and our salvation. He was prompted by great mercy and the great love with which he loved us. Out of love, God took on flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. God did not distance himself from our reality, from our brokenness, from our sin. Instead, he stepped right into the middle of it. And Jesus was born of a virgin, born of the Spirit not of the curse. He was tempted in every single way that you and I are, yet he did not sin. And at the end of his life, this perfect God man laid down his life on the cross and became a sacrifice for all who would trust in him. Jesus, God in flesh, perfect in every way, became a sacrifice on our behalf. And whenever he was nailed to the cross, all that wrath that should have been poured out out on you and on me was poured out on him he bore our sin he took our punishment he died our death but the good news is that 3 days later he rose from the grave Death was defeated. Sin was crushed. The curse was broken. The church of Christ was born and began to advance in our world. And he now stands in victory. And if we place our faith in him, if we believe in him and call upon his name, we get to experience this great love with which he loved us. We get to be made alive. We get to be forgiven, to be set free. We get to walk in light and no longer in darkness. We get to be a part of his kingdom advancing here on earth once you begin to understand where you were headed once you see what Jesus has done it becomes even more significant for you when you understand the magnitude of your sin then you can fully appreciate the magnitude of his love when you realize what you deserved and what he gave you in response it should be mind-blowing for us it should do it changes everything whenever we come into relationship with Jesus Christ and we experience this love it changes everything about who we are i've three things to tell you and we'll be done we need to wrap it up three things that we see from this text about God's love that are just absolutely amazing to me the first thing that we see is that God's love regenerates god's love regenerates what I mean by regenerates is it means he brings us back to life. It says, by His, but because of him we've been made alive together with Christ. If we let that sink in, that we who were once dead have now been made alive in Christ, that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who were spiritually dead can now become spiritually alive. Those of us who were spiritually lost can now be spiritually found. Those of us who were spiritually confused can now find satisfaction and fulfillment in him, that we can come alive in him, dead souls, come alive in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done, he offers us new life and he enables us to live in a completely different way. All of a sudden, whenever we begin to be empowered by his Holy Spirit, we can actually begin to live the life that he's called us to. He regenerates us, creates us into something brand new. He gives us new life. And the beautiful thing about this is that whenever we see that, we realize that we did nothing to earn that. There's nothing that we could ever do to create regeneration in us, right? It says, by grace we have been saved. This is a free gift from God. One of my favorite theologians, Jonathan Edwards, talks about this idea, and he says that you contributed nothing to your own salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that makes it necessary. You get to experience this great love as a free gift from God. This regeneration cannot happen on your own. You cannot earn this love. You cannot earn this regeneration. It is a gift from God. And whenever you receive it, you get to live a brand new life. God's love regenerates. The second thing that we see is that God's love redefines God's love redefines. Whenever we experience his love, we are made into something new. We who were once agents of darkness now become agents of life. We who were once children of wrath now become children of God. We who once followed the prince of the power of the air now follow the king of all kings. We who were once sons and daughters of darkness are now sons and daughters of the most high king. God's love redefines you that we don't have to walk in darkness anymore, but now we get to walk in light. This means that we are no longer defined by our past failures, our shortcomings, or our mistakes, but we are instead defined by the victory of Jesus Christ. That means that whenever God looks at you, he does not see the failures of your past sins. He chooses not to remember them, but he sees the saving work of Jesus Christ on your life. That There's no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus, that your debt has been paid in full your future has been redefined. And this means for you, I think so many of you need to hear this. This means for you that you get to move forward with the confidence because you realize that God does not define you by your failures anymore, which means you don't have to either. You don't have to live in that. You don't have to live in that old identity. We're made into something new. We've been redefined. We've been made into God's workmanship, Other translations translate that as God's masterpiece. We are something different entirely whenever we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We're no longer children of darkness. We are now children of light, and we get to walk with the confidence knowing who we belong to. God's love redefines. And the last thing that we see is that God's love repurposes God's love repurposes on our own before we're in a relationship with Jesus. The only thing that we're capable of bringing forth is more darkness and more death and more decay. As a child of darkness, you're incapable of producing light. But whenever you receive that new identity, it also comes with new activity and you get to live completely differently. God takes us former children of wrath and makes us into something new and uses us to advance his kingdom. We who once were all about ourselves and advancing our own little kingdoms, now all of a sudden get to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God. Whenever we truly experience God's love, the result will be that we want to join in his work. We want to join in what he is doing here on earth. My favorite part of this passage... Is Ephesians 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You realize what that means, right? That whenever you come into relationship with Jesus, that he repurposes your life. All of a sudden, it's not just about you. It's not just about advancing your own little kingdom, that you get to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God, the church of Christ, here in this world. You get to be a part of pursuing and advancing his glory and not your own, that he has plans and things that he wants you to accomplish here on this earth, that he's had planned for you from long before you were ever even thought of. We are his workmanship. And the products of God's hands, the products of God's hands are meant to display God's glory. That is what is true of your life. The products of God's hands are meant to display God's glory. And if you were created anew in Christ Jesus, then your life has been repurposed. And the purpose of your life is to make much of Jesus because you know what it means to receive this love because you understand where you were. You understand what your life was like before Jesus and how much better it is now, and that you never could have earned it. You never could have deserved it, but He gave it to you as a gift of His grace that whenever you receive His love, you want to extend His love to as many as you possibly can. I want you to see this tonight. I want you to understand the magnitude of your sin so that you can better understand the magnitude of God's love. I want you to experience God's love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to belabor the point of sin to make you feel bad. I'm trying to belabor the point of sin to realize how desperately you need to be saved and the God who has offered salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. I want to see God's love regenerate, redefine, and repurpose your life. I want you to experience God's love for you and God's love through you. That is my hope. That is my prayer for you as we enter into this new semester. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just in the silence this moment, I just want to talk, just think about this a little bit more. We've talked about that in order for us to experience this love, we must first understand the depth of our sin. Here in a moment, the band's going to lead us in a couple more songs, and as they do... The best thing that you might, some of you might need to do, the thing that might be best for you, would be just to sit at your seat and ponder the depths of your sin, and let that not lead you into any kind of like self-loathing or self uh, like hating on yourself or in any way. But as you ponder the depths of your sin. Also begin to ponder the depths of God's love for you and confess those sins to him and ask him that you can feel his love in a new and fresh way. Feel the depth of your sin so that you can better feel the depth of his love. Perhaps you're here in this room and you've never even done that before. You've never confessed your sin to God. You're not following Jesus. I want you to know that this salvation that I'm talking about this newness of life, this regeneration, this redefinition, this repurposing, it's available to you today. Scripture tells us that all who confess our sins and call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. That's available for you right now. And I want you to know that here in a moment, I'm gonna step to the back and if any of you have things that you want to talk about any of you have things that you want to pray about I will gladly talk to you I'll gladly pray for you you can sit in your seats you can kneel and pray whatever you need to do in this moment do it respond to God's love shown towards you the band's going to sing a couple more songs before they do I'm going to pray a prayer that's found in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21 I'm just going to pray this prayer over you before the band leads us and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we may ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God, this is my prayer for us. I pray that we would be people who understand as much as possible the breadth, the height, the depth, the length of your great love for us that we feel it, that we are changed by it, and that we live in a new way, believing that you are the greatest thing in the universe, that you love us so much, that you have changed, offered a way for our lives to be changed forever. God, we love you. We praise you. Be glorified in these moments. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Prince College Podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, you can check us out online at www.pabc.org backslash college, or you can follow us on social media at at prince.college. We'll see you next time.